We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello everyone, and hello humans. Welcome to Not A Robot's Marvel Comics Weekly Review Show. Today we're talking about Mighty Valkyries number 5, Iron Man number 12, Marauders number 24, Last Annihilation Black Panther, Kang the Conqueror number 2, Fantastic Four Life Story number 4, Web of Spider-Man number 5, Black Widow number 11, Fantastic Four number 35, the 60 year anniversary, and on our soapbox today we've got X-Men, Trial of Magneto number 2, Spider-Woman number 15, and Eternals Thanos Rises. My name is Kirk, and I didn't come up with a clever catchphrase today, and I'm joined by our elite panel of judges. We have Brandon. I'm only here because the Avengers are busy this week. <laughs> and Jessica. Uh, I'm Jessica, and if I went bald, I could finally cosplay as Nebula. <laughs> We're here to read, critique, and review Marvel's weekly releases without any interference from the publisher. If you like our show, you can find us on Twitter at NotArobotComics. You can find me on Twitter at Kirk Hopko, and Jess is there at Jessica Hopko. We answer show mail sent to NotArobotComics at gmail.com. Before we get going, I just want to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters, who help out with a dollar or more a month, and thank you listeners too. Like, download, and share our episodes so we can get more listeners and bring you more content. You can get access to our Patreon and the rest of the amazing Not A Robot Podcast <laughs> shows at NotArobotPodcasts.com. So, any, everyone, before we dive into the round of reviews this week, anything hit the news? Uh, I gotta think. Um, I mean, I don't know if there's any kind of crazy uh, Marvel Comics news. I don't think so. I, I Have we met since the last Hawkeye trailer, or since the Hawkeye trailer dropped? Ooh, it, it feels like it... I, honestly, it feels like it could have been two weeks ago with how, how crazy that was. So I, I don't remember, but I mean, we can still talk about it. Um, yeah, I mean, we can touch on that. Uh, the Hawkeye trailer dropped. I don't know if we've talked about it on the air, but I'm excited for it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just want to see Rogers the Musical. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Kate Bishop, and I'm excited for them to show her off. And as a Young Avengers fan, who was sort of right there at that sweet spot when the Young Avengers first came about, uh, I'm definitely excited to see them start coming together on the screen. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, And I also saw quite a few uh, references to Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run in that trailer. I mean, there's there's definitely Lucky the Pizza Dog in there, and... Hopefully some of the tracksuit mafia. <laughs> right? Can't wait to see more of them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much they're... The, if they did do that, I don't know how much they're going to lean into the... You know, the, the stuff from the book. But it, it would be nice to kind of see them really just embrace it and, and, and try and do something kind of funny. But also uh, very emotional as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, and then the only other news piece I have, and this has been in the news for a little while, so um, maybe we should have talked about it earlier, but uh, the there's a bit of drama right now with um, Joe Bennett. Oh, yeah. I, di- I didn't know if we were going to talk about that, but yeah, um, that's, that's some pretty nasty stuff. 
Yeah, for, for those who haven't been paying attention to the news, uh, there's some... Joe Bennett has been doing some things that uh, have been considered controversial, and Marvel has decided to cut ties with him. Um, and I've only barely looked into the, the pieces, and I can say that, like, I get it. I'm totally on the side of Marvel choosing to cut ties based on these... Uh, based on these uh, these pieces that Joe Bennett has attached his name to, uh, it's it is a it comes with you know as a bit of a bitter bitter pill as Immortal Hulk has definitely been one of the highlights of the year. Oh yeah, yeah. It's um it's unfortunate that that I mean I don't I don't I don't want to tr- put the work over any kind of anti-Semitic imagery that he did. That, that obviously is mm-hmm. far more important to address. But, um, yeah, it is unfortunate that, that someone like that has uh, such nasty beliefs attached to him. Yeah. And with that, um, Marvel is, because it's already finished, Marvel has already said that they will still be releasing the end of Immortal Hulk. Uh, so we will still be covering it here. Uh um, especially <laughs> since we don't want to divorce all of Al Ewing's hard work and the rest of the team's amazing work that went into that that book, um, it's not all spoiled by uh, by Joe Bennett. Uh, but uh, the other thing too that's nice about it is awful that it happened in the first place. But kind of the silver lining of it is that he didn't have anything to do with the story elements, more so just interpreting the story in art. And art mm-hmm. is subjective and you are able to remove art from artists, whereas like writing, I feel like, usually has a lot more personal going into it. Um, like you think of different famous artists over time, um, like Picasso and Van Gogh and stuff, like their life doesn't really impact their work. Mm-hmm. It it kind of informs what mental state they might have been in, but it doesn't actually change what you think of a painting or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. Uh, yeah, um, and the writer definitely has a bit more of when you're reading something that was written by someone, a, a bit more of their worldview comes across than when it's just their art. So yeah. I, I, I get what you're putting down. So on that happy oh, yeah. note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, did we did we mention the Wolverine game? The the trailer that came out? Uh, I don't remember. No, we didn't. Yeah, at uh, PlayStation's uh, event a couple weeks ago. Probably yeah, not even yeah, two yeah. full weeks, but. Yeah, no, they, at the uh, PlayStation Showcase 2021, they... Um, and this was, yeah, a little over a week ago, about 10 days ago. Uh, they released a more of a teaser. I don't know if I can really call it a trailer. Um, but, um, you know, basically announcing that, um, that they would be releasing a, a Wolverine theme. Well, not, yeah, not Wolverine theme. Wolverine is the central character, but a Wolverine game for the PS5 from Insomniac Games. And, um, I mean, the teaser looks really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, it doesn't show any gameplay or anything just yet, but uh, it's it's a fun little, you know, fun little teaser for for people who are interested in a new game. And I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah, myself as well. I um, I'm excited by that trailer. I'm excited by Insomniac 
at the helm, their their Spider Man games, both Spider Man oh, yes. and Miles Morales, have been excellent. Just so good. Yeah. And so Insomniac being at the helm of this one is really good. Um, as much <laughs> as I am the one of the only fans out there for Crystal Dynamics Avengers game. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're you really like. Um really in the minority on that one all i've heard from people is supposedly how bad it is i've not played a second of it but um i i, I feel bad i mean you know i i don't know i'll have to check it out at some point i feel like the campaigns are all really enjoyable like they feel really good um uh-huh. and then you get once you get to that the game expects you to play it like destiny and that's uh-huh. and that's where it becomes a write off mm. but for a full price game, I spent 15 hours as the Avengers blasting through a campaign and then eventually fighting MODOK and crazy villains like that. Not a lot of them, but I felt good. Tony feels good. Thor feels good. Cap feels good. Hulk feels good. And since the DLC have come out all free, Hawkeye, Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, and now Black Panther, they're all dope characters to play as. Like, And the Wakanda map is a lot of fun. Like, mm. The game's getting bigger and they've promise that more content is going to keep coming out into next year uh so i'm looking forward to it but i am excited to see crystal dynamics not being at the helm of every marvel game yeah uh i still look forward to who the team that's putting out the guardians of the galaxy game next month uh because i believe that's the team that made the deus ex games and they're once again a slightly different team and interested to see how they handle it yeah well, um, that actually did remind me, um, speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, I, I have a bit of sad news, unfortunately, and that is that after the big, you know, giant crossover event that they've been doing right now in Guardians of the Galaxy, the book will unfortunately be coming to its end after issue 18. Uh, it's a bit of a sudden one, um, but I think it was... You know, it was kind of it was kind of in the water, um, given that the book basically hadn't been solicited for two, three months at that point. And um, you know, I just I, ch- I they didn't really put out any announcement for it. I just like I checked and looked at the um, releases for next week and clicked on Guardians of the Galaxy, and it just said final issue under it. I was like, oh, there it is. So, oh, well, that's a heartbreaker. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess on the plus side, you know, at least we got a really good book what we did, but. It'll, it'll kind of be sad to see it go. I'm, I'm hoping they have something in the works coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because I've really enjoyed it, and especially with this new team, like the huge, mm-hmm. the huge number of Guardians that they've had going on. Like I thought it was a really cool uh, thing for the Guardians to take on this sort of organizational approach. I wanted to see more of it, but... Yeah, me too, but I guess the sales just weren't there. That's a shame. Yeah. All right. Well, now we can dive into our reviews for the week. Um, Up first, we've got the Mighty Valkyries number five. This is the final issue in the Mighty Valkyries series, uh, or I guess mini-series. And this features the culmination of uh, Jane and Valkyrie um, essentially going to hell to face off with Hela and her wife, for the kidnapping of the children that disappeared back in issue one. Um, there's a bit of a showdown and a little bit of some gods learning their immortal <laughs> lessons. And uh, Loki shows up to sort of 
push the needle forward on something that he's evidently working on, but he's mysterious as always. Um, the art in this book is gorgeous, just like the rest of the series has been. Like, um, oh, yeah. Mighty Valkyries absolutely looks amazing, and you get some really cool showdown, nice action panels in this final issue. Uh, I thought it was a, a good closure, though um, just a little... For everything it tried to do, it just still felt a little dry to me. I don't know. It's kind of a... Uh, it's not a very helpful descriptor. Um, if you've been reading Mighty Valkyries, you're not going to be disappointed. But I wouldn't... With this, knowing this is the end, I wouldn't say Mighty Valkyries as a whole is a must-read miniseries. Mm. Um, I'd probably close this one out with a 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. I, um, you know, I thought it was kind of like a fun series. I was, um, I was kind of a surprise fan of the original Valkyrie Jane Foster series that they did, I want to say 2018 or 2019. From um, Originally it was Jason Aaron and Al Ewing, and then it was Jason Aaron and, and Torin Gronbuck who did the, the, this book as well. And, and it, was, it was a really fun series that kind of got cut short um, just because of, uh, of, of COVID canceling a lot of books. But um, I was kind of glad that they brought it back, and, and this has been a, a satisfying miniseries, but I really can't say that it's anything special. It's um, <clears throat> just sort of there for me, and even if the art from... Um, um, I'm gonna mess up the name, so just forgive me. But um, um, what is it? Matia, Matia de Ulis, Ulis, something like that. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, my apologies if I can totally butcher that. But um, the art, like I said, the, like you said, the art has been really great, and. Um, and, and, and enjoyable in that sense. It's just, you know, it's kind of really just been only an, an, an okay story. Um, has some fun moments, but nothing too memorable, really. So I ended up giving this one a 7.75 out of 10. Like, I'd probably go back and reread the miniseries at some point, but um, I don't know if it's going to stay with me that much. I <laughs> tried reading this one. I think just trying to... <laughs> figure out where we were <laughs> was difficult because um, it opens with the explanation of like to catch me up and I was like okay but then I didn't know that very first page it like opens with a word that's not Midgard it's not Asgard it's a different guard <laughs> but then it jumps into hell and I was like wait what happened can you can we go back what who who was that um, so just for me coming in with like very like zero prior knowledge it was hard to get into, and I also tried to read it while I was laying down and fell asleep, so I didn't end up finishing this one. Uh. And I don't think that's to say anything bad for the writing or the art or anything like that. I honestly just think that it was a lot to try and break down and decipher and figure out what was going on because I don't have that prior knowledge. But I would be interested in starting this one over, probably, like starting at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I would say this comic, uh, as a miniseries, probably doesn't have a lot of baggage that's rooted in too many other comics. Mm -hmm. um, it might require some passing familiarity with Jane Foster's journey that they, I would hope, give you on that first page summary on in Mighty Valkyries number one. Mm -hmm. But if you wanted to just pick up five comics about Jane Foster, maybe leading up to Love and Thunder, Next this May. might be a good fit. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Uh, moving on to our next comic, Iron Man number 12. I'll hand it over to Jess for this one. So we see Iron Man and Avro X infiltrating the world ship to take down Korvac. Uh, Avro and Iron Man talk about Manitoba, Canada, while being attacked by the ship's many built-in defenses. We'll have to ask Kirk what that's like living in Manitoba. They run into Korvac and his cronies, resulting in devastation and sadness. Before we cut to Tony's rescue squad coming to save him in the nick of time in a foolhardy plan. So, Kirk, living in Manitoba, is it the stabbing yeah, capital that? of Canada? Yeah, I, like? I, I, uh, I lived from the age of, I, I want to say, 5 to 12 in the stabbing Canada, the capital of Canada that is mentioned in this book. Um, and yeah, Winnipeg's great. It's cold as all heck. Um, and it's it's like a pretty old city. It like As like, far as Canada's concerned, yeah. Well, no, I just mean like cities, there are cities the same age that mm-hmm. have spent more money updating their buildings. Oh, I see. A lot of the buildings you pass in Winnipeg are like, it's been a while since they've renovated. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really related to this issue. But <laughs> And they spent some time talking about Churchill, which is in the deep north of Manitoba that I have never been to. Yeah. But the, the fun fact that he drops about having curfews to prevent kids from getting eaten, that's real. I've heard about that. Yeah. My oh, mom, wow. Jeez. My mom. A, a kind of a, oh, go ahead. You know, go ahead. Um, my mom grew, grew up in Thompson, Manitoba, um, which is really close to Churchill, very far north. And she mm-hmm. told me a story once about how on Halloween, everyone leaves their cars unlocked so that kids walking around, if they run into a polar bear, can hop into a car and not get eaten. It was just common practice that people would leave their vehicles unlocked on Halloween so that if anything happened, a kid wouldn't have to run home. They'd just have to hop in the closest vehicle. (laughs) But Iron Man. (laughs) So back to the issue. Um, I didn't know who Avro X was, um, but I thought that him and Iron Man's talking and kind of building that connection it felt like Tony's been through a lot just because he was actually being personable <laughs> um, I yeah I was surprised at how much I like this because I don't really like Iron Man movies or the personality that Tony Stark tends to exude of being smarter and better than everyone else but it felt like he's really been like throwing himself into the trenches in this one and that he's kind of gotten really tired. Um, so I gave it a 7 out of 10 because I actually am interested in picking up the next one Like, and I definitely didn't expect that. <clears throat> yeah, this, this series is... Um, like We have been covering it, I, mean, I think, pretty much since it, it came out and, and it has been such a weird one for me because it... It always teeters the line for me between being really interesting and I don't know, kind of um, dull for me. And I and I, I never I never like I don't know I, I never have the right score to give this book. <laughs> I think I think when we first started covering it, I would just kind of give it a question mark out of ten because I I just I was like I, I think there are things that I like, but there are some things that I don't really like and and I think that's mostly just the writing it, it it just it never lands in a full way for me where I can't say is I, I fully like it or fully hate it so mm. um, I don't know like I, can, I, I 
I've been reading this book for 12 issues and I cannot score it. <laughs> it's, it's been a year and I still can't score it. So this book still gets a question mark out of 10 for me. Like there are things that I think are really cool and there are things that are just kind of, yeah, sure. And, and that's all I got. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, wish I, I wish I could be more precise about this book, but it's so bizarre. Mm-hmm. But I, I did. I did. I, I also did not know about Avro X, and I think that's cool. Um, I didn't know Canada had an Iron Man, so that's, <laughs> uh, that's neat for them, I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah, this book was. I don't know the Iron Man series. I've been. I've been like, it, it just keeps missing exactly where I want it to sit, but only just. Um, I've not been a fan of how Tony's been written in this series to date, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I found Tony doing his own thing. Like, there was a couple panels where they were talking about Canada, which I swear I liked be- for more reasons other than they were just talking about Canada. <laughs> but it actually felt you're from Canada. <laughs> yeah, we might be biased. But it actually yeah. f- felt like Avro and Iron Man were talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tony was like, oh, hey, where are you from? Like, it was very much... You see in those, like, war movies where, like, a kid gets shot and to, like, help him focus, one of the vets starts saying, like, tell me about your hometown. Got a sweetie? Like, get get you talking about stuff. So that's where Tony felt personable. But that only lasted for, like, two pages. That's true. The rest of it, Tony was literally just running around Galactus's ship, literally singing, like, just songs. Oh, I assume that his um, suit was playing music. That's equally likely. It wasn't actually clear to me. Oh, okay. But he was sort of kind of ignoring his co-star, which has been sort of the the theme with this series, is that they put some really interesting characters on his ship that have been trying to help him for like five issues now. And literally, we have cut back for five issues to that ship of them trying to help Iron Man. Oh yeah, and it's been Gargoyle, Misty Knight, um, Scarlet Spider, and Frogman sitting with their seatbelts on in the back seat. Yeah, they've been on this chase forever, forever. Like they, we're not doing anything with these co-stars. Hellcat and War Machine are in the cockpit, talking like bickering slightly, but we're just not getting anything from these people that they're putting around Tony. So I just feel like it's Tony ignoring everyone in his life again, always. Like that's the theme with Tony. That makes a lot more sense. I didn't have that baggage. <laughs> if this was the only time he had been doing that, it makes sense that he just shot off ahead of them, and they're now catching up at the end of this issue. But it, that's that's very different. Well, and that brings me to the thing that I really dislike the most about this part of the run is Korvac does not. I don't care about him. His his. His plot was interesting in one issue, and then, like, it went nowhere for three issues, and then it got interesting again for a half... Like, it, it it teeters between him, like, nattering mm-hmm. about it, and then, like, pushing the needle forward a bit. But the absolute, like, most annoying piece is, a few issues ago, when they were still in chase mode, Tony got zapped away to, the, to another planet where he meets Avro X, which was cool and all. And then he ends up in a fight with Stilt Man there, which <laughs> yeah. was whatever. Like, it was a whole random aside. But then the way that Tony got out of it and the way that Tony beat them to Galactus's ship 
is because the Living Tribunal, a.k.a. like the most god of god, showed up and said, Tony, we need your help. I'm going to teleport you to the place where the story is happening. Because the writers... Deus Ex Machina? Couldn't... They, they literally put <laughs> actual god yeah. in the story to teleport Tony to Galactus's ship at the end of the last issue. Because... And literally everyone keeps commenting, how did Tony beat us here? How did Tony beat us here? Yeah. Corvac's like, you beat me here? Huh? It's like, yeah, because the writers just wedged that in. Or I guess it's Deus Ex Deus? I don't God know. in the actual literal God. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This this book is fine. It's enjoyable. The dialogue is well written. It just keeps missing for me. The co-stars aren't quite there. The villain's not quite there. And every once in a while, they'll take Tony to a fight with Stiltman that they can't rem- figure out how to get him out of. <laughs> so it's like the actual Iron Man movies. So I gave this one a very generous 7 out of 10, but if you talk to me on a bad day, it wouldn't be that high. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is respectable. I, um... At, at least you're able to come to some kind of conclusion about this book. <laughs> I, I still have not, and it's been a year. And yet I still keep coming back, so at least the book has that going for it. Yeah, it's it hasn't pissed me off enough to be like, screw it, Brandon, you can cover number 13. Like, I'm still going to yeah. read it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it, like, it comes out, and I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll read it, you know, just to kind of see what's going on. So it, it, it's not... Yeah, I guess it's a strength. It is not so boring or so off the rails that I'm like, I don't even want to deal with this anymore. Mm-hmm. All right, next on our list is Marauders number 24. Uh, this one f- uh, features a previous uh, <coughs> frenemy of Emma Frost, Uh coming to planet uh, Araka to to deal with a debt that they've left unpaid um, and demanding an audience with her. So Emma and Kate go on a little bit of journey to Araka uh, where we get to see now that it has been fully terraformed, Araka is bustling. It's a full-on Star Wars planet. Yeah. We've got gun vendors selling blasters to hordes of Araco mutants. Araki? Araki? I'm not sure. I think Araki. I think they're called the Araki people. Mm-hmm. And the planet is Araco. Um, and they they meet with him. Uh, they go through, um, let's call it negotiations. And, mm-hmm. um, the, of course... Because the White Queen and the Red Queen are there, somehow, for no reason, the Black King just happens to be in the same bar as them. Of course. Uh, and then they uh, they work a little bit, and there's a pretty suspenseful ending that I won't uh, I won't spoil here because it's it doesn't really impact the the overall scope of whether or not this comic was enjoyable. Uh, I've always been a fan of the Marauder series. Uh, I like the writing, um, and really, it's just. It's lately transformed, I say lately as if it, this is new, really into a vehicle for ne- or conversations between Kate and Emma, um, with the occasional brilliant writing of characters like Iceman and Pyro popping in on the sidelines. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just, I don't know, I've been really enjoying the writing between Kate and Emma Frost as they as they go through this, and this, this transition of Kate Pride's character 
all throughout the Marauders story has been a journey that I've still that I'm still quite interested in. This is a bit of a filler issue, so as much as I like the writing, I can't say like anything huge, action packed, or like a major turning point happens. But it does end with uh, teasing a another mutant as well showing up at the X Men headquarters in New York. So keep an eye on that. Hmm. I think someone this... that had been teased in in some of the previous issues, I might add. Yeah. Um, so I gave this one a 7.8, which, again, I'm probably in a generous mood today. Like, this one's probably higher than I needed to rate it, but I'm enjoying my time with my Marauders, and maybe that's coloring my uh, perceptions. I actually scored this one a little bit better than I have been scoring previous issues of Marauders, just because the, the series, for me, started really, really strong. It was probably about my, my second favorite title to come out of Dawn of X. And then it sort of started to slip for me. Then it came back up again. We were like right before Ten of Swords. Came down a little bit. And then I was kind of um, drawn back in as they were wrapping up some stuff in Madripoor. But um, I, I think the last issue was just kind of okay for me. Because it, as I remember, it was mostly just a flashback issue with... Um, with uh, uh, well, if I say it, it's going to spoil something. But anyway, all you need to know is it's, it's like a, a flashback issue. Um, the last one that I remember... Oh, well, actually, I think that might have been 22. Um, and then the more recent one was with um, with Banshee. But yeah, it, it, it had kind of been a little shaky for the last two issues, I felt. But this one I thought was really good um, and, and definitely pulled me back in. And the art from Phil Noto is just great, as usual. He's just really phenomenal at doing these emotions and, and action scenes although I, I do have one small critique uh, and it's really just the way that Emma shows her like diamond form or secondary mutation um, because I mean I, I know that Phil is probably doing the best job that he can but it kind of looks like PS1 graphics and in a good way. Like, if, if, yeah, if, you, if you ever played like old like Tomb Raider or like Crash Bandicoot and you've seen like some of the atmosphere graphics, mm. it looks like that. And it, it was just really off-putting. Um, just every, every time she was like in frame with the, the diamond skin. But other than that, I had no problem with it. I thought it was a pretty solid issue overall. So I'm hoping that the rest of them can kind of maintain this level of quality moving forward. So I actually give this one an 8.25 uh, out of 10. <clears throat> I was very interested in Arako because this is my first introduction to it. I especially liked Iceman walking off the plane and being like, yo, y'all see my planet? Um, and Pyro having none of it. <laughs> Um, but once I got to Emma and Kate, I don't really have any attachment to either of those characters, so I wasn't as interested. Um, and then I was intrigued by the ending, but more so just in a confused way. Like, I know that with Krakoa they've got ways to get out of stuff, worst case scenario, if someone died. But I, I just don't... <sighs> I don't understand the way that we left things in space before jumping back to New York. Um, like, it felt like it was very, like, and as you can see, this thing is about to happen, and we're not going to tell you about it. We're going to move on. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then I didn't 
have any attachment to New York. I didn't know that it had been foreshadowed. I don't know who that character is. So I assume that I will enjoy the next one more. Um, so yeah, for me, I gave this one like a 6 out of 10. Like, I would probably rec- recommend Marauders to other people. For me, I think I need more info for it to really be like hook, line, and sinker. Awesome. All right. Uh, and now uh, I'll pass it over to Brandon for Last Annihilation Black Panther. All right. My pleasure. Um, one second. <clears throat> so, yeah, this is. Um... This is Black Panther, Black, yeah, la- technically Last Annihilation Wakanda, but this is the issue that focuses on uh, Black Panther, sort of leading the charge of the, uh, <clears throat> the intergalactic uh, empire of Wakanda against the recently uh, dominating forces of Dormammu, and sort of uh, taking charge, leading the army, and working with a uh, very interesting but but um certainly unique group of people sort of combating the forces including uh mbaku but not the uh mbaku man ape from wakanda a person who's taken his namesake um to you know basically uh inspire others and i guess he's described as the rebel leader from the intergalactic empire Mm -hmm. i remember that run was going on but i wasn't reading too much of it so i'm not super familiar on the intergalactic empire of Wakanda, but alongside him, of course, is also Shuri, as well as Manifold, who I guess has taken a break from being in Sword and also fighting the Hordes to just kind of hang with them for a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's um, overall it's a pretty cool issue. Um, they team up with the Imperial Guard, the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, as well, and there's a lot of uh, cool interactions between them. Um, and it's always fun to see the Imperial Guard as, as they're there, but really it's, it's just kind of meant to show the uh, strength and intervention of the uh, Intergalactic Empire of Wakanda and how they're able to uh, stand their ground against uh, some of uh, Dormammu's mindless ones, uh, which I thought was really cool. Um, so I, you know, I, I won't say it's like an outstanding issue or, or even super memorable, but as part of this event, I thought it was, you know, solid enough and... Um, as a, as a contributing chapter to the overarching story, it, it does its job, you know, it's like, excuse me, if you just want to say like, hey, what, what is the intergalactic empire of Wakanda up to in the middle of this, you know, great cosmic invasion? Well, here you go. Here's your answer. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of fine for that reason. Um, nothing too great, but nothing too bad. Um, I really like the art. Um, I thought it, it just showed a lot of the you know large scale action really really well and um, i love this this artist's rendition of the imperial guard i just thought it was really Mm -hmm. cool especially um smasher and guardian um they just look super cool smasher guardian and deathbird actually even though she's not like in a ton of panels but um, all of them are just really cool or is it it guardian or gladiator no gladiator it's gladiator yeah gladiator um yeah, I, I just, I, I know he's, they're called, like, Super Guardians. I just, like, confuse it for a second. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, thought, I thought the artist did a really good job. It's just kind of a, a solid story. Nothing special works in line with the whole Last Annihilation stuff. So, yeah, I would probably give this one an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I, I enjoyed my time with this one. It, <laughs> it was good. It did a little bit more uh, time on just 
on Wakanda, on Black Panther, uh, and on M'Baku uh, taking up, uh, you know, a bit more responsibility in the intergalactic empire of Wakanda. Yeah. And so with that, uh, I enjoyed it. Um, there's even a few uh, good stabs at humor in this book. Uh, yes. I love the comment they make about Vibraxis. Uh, just, I wasn't expecting to, to you know, have a little bit of an actual out loud chortle when I read that, but I did. It was funny, so I recommend checking that out. Yeah, I gave this one a seven point eight out of ten. Nice. All right. Next, we have Kang the Conqueror number two. This one continues the Kang the Conqueror series in showing a young Kang sort of fumbling through his uh, some of Kang's moments in issue one. He was trained by Kang in issue two. He serves as the uh, Scarlet Centurion in uh, Ramatut's uh, army. And this, it really just shows him he falling in love with Ravana again, of all people. Um, and Ravana is a moon knight in again who is opposed to Ramatut. Uh, she's an avatar of Khonshu in this iteration, which is cool, but uh, doesn't really go anywhere super exciting. Uh, and then this book ends with, um, or this book also contains, you know, a f- bit of him creating the Iron Lad persona. So it looks like this might be the Iron Lad. Kang, like a, a journey that created the Iron Land, who who would start the Young Avengers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering how they were gonna, or I, I was wondering how they might tie that in. I, I actually didn't get to read this issue, but. Hmm. Um, and it teases at the end um, <laughs> that that this young Kang is still looking for active ways to oppose the old Kang. Um, honestly, though, this book is really just a smattering of Kang's history. So if you, if you read Loki or read Loki, watched Loki (laughs) and at the end, everyone started talking about, Oh my God, Kang's going to be in the MCU. Kang Kang. This book looks like it's shaping up to be a five part series. That's covering a lot of the famous Kangs. We've already seen two, three, no, four different iterations of Kang in these two issues. Um, and they've been famous ones. So I'm assuming that wherever he goes in the next three issues is going to be different versions of Kang um, so that people get used to trying to tell apart the infinite Kangs. Yeah. But I, it was it was fine. I, I gave it a 6.5. I'm going to stop belaboring it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on to Fantastic Four Life Story number four. I'll pass that one over to Jess. Um, So, after the events of the 80s, the Fantastic Four is reeling from the death of Johnny Storm and trying to overcome all the trauma that comes with that and the knowledge that Galactus is on the way to destroy Earth. Um, I at first thought that I wouldn't really like the this comic because it's trying to tell a whole decade in one issue um so it speeds through um and focuses on (coughs) ben and he tries to date um and he eventually does find someone that he's interested in and they get along really well 
um, and he reveals a hard part of his past from the Korean War. Um, then the team goes out to space to meet Galactus before he's able to reach the planet that Reed has set up this defensive mechanism to stop them. Um, but it turns out that it's actually the Silver Surfer who shows up and quickly thwarts that defense mechanism by just running through it <laughs> and destroys it in a matter of seconds. Um, ben tries to fight him and also loses, so then Silver Surfer lands on Earth to announce when Galactus will be here, which is in another ten years. And then he takes off. Um, I thought it was like super sweet, well-crafted kind of like episode of their lives. It really did focus on Ben and then a little bit of um, Sue and Reed's son getting married. Um, yeah, I was surprised. I think that's honestly, like, the best way for me to give it a good score is if I'm surprised. Like, if I go into it expecting it to be awful and it's cute or um, just has an element that I wasn't expecting. So I gave this one, like, a 7.5 out of 10. Like, I definitely would read the next one because they did this one so well. I don't know if I would have liked all of them leading up to it because I'm not like a Fantastic Four super fan and I don't really care about the history of it. Like the fact that they're celebrating 60 years. This isn't the anniversary uh, issue, but I don't really have any attachment to that. Again, because I'm very new to comics. <laughs> what did you oh, guys my think? Heart. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love the Fantastic Four. So okay. I just... <laughs> No, it's, uh, but that that is that is entirely because I just the Fantastic Four was definitely something that I, I grew up with, so there's a lot mm. of nostalgia for it. Um, that that was kind of the first comics that I that I really read, um, like superhero comics. I would say were the 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 Marvel masterworks that I begged my mom to pick up at Barnes and Noble, and I just read them over and over and over again. So I'd have a soft spot for the for the old FF. I, I'm probably more biased with that. No, that's totally fair, and I'm sure you and Kirk will end up having to come to blows when the movie comes out, but whatever oh, Marvel no. ends up doing, because <laughs> Kirk is on the opposite side of that fence. <laughs> I know, I know. So, so he tells me. <laughs> no, no. I, I Unfortunately, this is a bad week for me to actually make this claim, but uh, at Brandon's behest, I've been trying to give Reed Richards another shot. It's just all the yeah. comics... Because I didn't read a lot of Fantastic Four growing up, and the ones that they featured in always chose to feature Reed at his worst. Mm. Um, this is often, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and so it really drilled home this like uh, my like my young comic self was just kind of like stumped by why the Fantastic Four was a thing, why it was popular. Because every time I got to meet them, their leader was a dick (laughs) and just go into the corner and cry (laughs) but that that isn't to say that he always has been like i i've been giving them more and more of a fair shake unfortunately i didn't get to read life story this week i ran out of time so i'm gonna pass it over to brandon to say what he felt but I, i swear i've been trying to not be so hard on on reed and the gang and i do actually like the rest of the gang quite a bit better and this run of the fantastic four I've enjoyed more with um, Valeria and, and Franklin uh, being part of it. Mm. Uh, so not in Life Story, but I have been. Yeah. I've been easing my way back into it. It's good. It's good. I'm. I'm not being so hard on them. I swear. <laughs> 
Um, no, I, I thought it was a, a really fun issue, um, especially ch kind of choosing to focus on Ben Grimm in the 90s and him meeting Alicia was really cute and sweet. And I was wondering when they were going to find a way to, to fold her in if it wasn't going to be in the, the 60s or 70s. Um, so that was just really nice to see. I thought there was definitely an interesting moment where um, they're getting ready to go to Johnny Storm's wedding, I guess. And we, we have a brief moment where we actually see Reed's physical age. And I'd been kind of been wondering about that. Like, how have they been looking so young? And it's been, you know, almost 20 years at this point. And I guess Reed and, and maybe some of the others have as well. But they've kind of been, you know, using their powers to preserve their the age where they first got their power, so it looks like they're, you know, kind of the same. Um, and I, I just, I thought that was an interesting moment, um, just really highlighting that, yeah, they are, they are aging. It has been a while, but um, outside of that, I, I just, I, I think that was cool. The overarching Galactus story that they have been really um, alluding towards is, is interesting, but I, I find myself more interested in the, um, you know, kind of like average daily life of the Fantastic Four than any of the Galactus stuff, which probably sounds sacrilegious as a Fantastic Four <laughs> fan, but I mean, I just, I don't know. I feel like I've seen the Galactus story a lot, and I, I just, I don't have that much interest in seeing this take on it. I mean, maybe they'll deliver something really cool. They tried to do kind of an interesting approach in the first issue, but I just didn't care that much, but... Um, I still enjoyed it. I still had a fun time, and I, I really dug the art from Shani Zaske as well. So um, I gave this one an 8 out of 10. Awesome. Uh, next on our list is Web of Spider-Man number 5. This is the conclusion to the Web of Spider-Man series, uh, <laughs> or miniseries. And this one features them uh, finally coming to blows with Mendelstrom. Cygon? Mendel, yeah, he, he has created a, a cyborg goblin body for himself uh, and he has used his technology and a combination of things at the Louvre, Louvre? the museum in Louvre. France, the Louvre, um, and he wants to steal the brains of the kids of Webb and these brainy kids defeat him. And that's it. That's the book. Um, which is also kind of the series. Uh, this series is outside of the current canon in most regards. Um, this is obviously not the Peter Parker who's currently embroiled in Sinister War. And it's just a group of them as teenagers and kids, genius kids working for in Iron Man's scholarship program to develop new tech. I'm not 100% sure on... They haven't really explained like whether this is like an internship or a job or if replacement for school like they're really after school yeah, yeah there's really no context for this aside from the fact that they can just go to france yeah to chase down goblin or not goblin cygob mm. or mandelstrom whoever <laughs> yeah um and then amadeus cho showed up last issue and he wasn't really in the first three and i'm always a big fan of amadeus but he really just shows up in this one to be just like another smart young person who has muscle just shows up for the final fight. Like he, he was never really included in Web, but now he's just part of Web. So much so uh -huh. that when everything ends with its tied up, nice little bow, and there's a photo of the gang, he's just part of the gang now. Which cool, yeah, I, I love Amadeus, but I don't know. This book didn't 
do anything particularly well. I I don't know. I gave it a six. I it's it's fine. And if you're looking for a if you're looking for a Spider Man miniseries to buy for like a kid, like probably age eight or ten, um, and you don't want them to have to like figure out any drama. This is Peter Parker trying to figure out where when he can change into Spider Man without anyone seeing him. This is a series with other smart characters that you might get questions about. They might say, "Who's Squirrel Girl? Who's Moon Girl?" Um, they might ask about the other characters in Web, but they don't have comics. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's fine. I don't know. Eh, I'm gonna be hard on the series. It's it's them taking Spider Man again, 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 to just his own story outside the current canon, which sometimes works, but I I feel like that's the type of stuff that really encourages people to be jaded with, like, trying to get into comics. When there's two Spider-Man comics released one week after the other, and one of them's just not even in the canon, I I don't think that's a... I don't think that's a good play, but maybe I'm just too hard on it. I don't know. That, That does seem a little weird. Um, so last time I read this, I rated it very poorly. (laughs) Um, so we're back again. I, yeah, I don't like this series, um, because my least favorite parts about Peter Parker are teenager, I need to hide my identity from everyone, which is not a smart play, especially as someone who lied as a teenager to, to parents, like, one, it just adds more stress to your life, too. Like, yes, having a secret from, like, the majority of people makes sense. I'm not saying he needs to reveal his identity like Tony Stark. But when you can't even, like, tell the other superhero people that you're currently in, like, this internship with that you're Spider-Man. Also, they're all so smart. How do they not realize that they lost Peter, gained Spidey? They're all just sitting there like, huh, where'd Peter go? And Spidey's like, oh, uh, uh, I'll call him. Uh, uh. <laughs> Guys, your IQs have to be better than this. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't believe that you're actually smart. Um, yeah, and also, like, weaponizing the Louvre pyramid to be a photon laser beam. What? It's a I'm... photon recombinator or something like that. Ugh. I don't even... I don't even know what that means. I don't even know science, and I know that's not right. That's not how it works. Um, I will say, though, that, like, Kirk said, if I knew any 6 to 13 year olds, I'd give them this comic. Um, And I also will give like, a teeny tiny little like, award. Um, There was an excellent message that Squirrel Girl said. Um, She said, it's not about being smart, it's about being curious, asking questions, and studying what you learn. And that, I think, is a really good message for kids. Again, that's why I would give this to kids. But me as an adult, I'm like, 3 out of 10, guys. Don't 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 waste your time. It's not it's not gonna do anything. It it's boring for like us. Like it doesn't check out. It doesn't make sense. But if I was a kid, I would be like, heck yeah, they're in Paris. This is cool. What's that? What's the Louvre? What's this pyramid thing? Ooh ooh. Like there are things that if I didn't know things about the world and about Spider Man and all these different things, I would be interested in. But I'm not. I can Google stuff. I have my own phone. (laughs) (laughs) So I just... I don't like it. Plus there was an error on a page where it seemed as though the first two lines of the text box should have been removed during editing, but 
it still made it to final print because the sentence didn't make any sense. So I just didn't like it. <laughs> I did not even read this issue, so I have no context for any of this. But based on all I've heard so far, I I don't think I'd read this issue since, or I don't think I'd read this series since like the first issue, and I probably won't be coming back <laughs> based on all the the uh, the feedback it's gotten so far. Yeah, I think there's a market for this comic, mm-hmm. but I honestly don't know that the market for that comic for this comic is comic readers. Um, I think it's a great like gift to a kid if you don't know what to get them, and maybe they'll become a comic book reader later. Like, and like I'm surprised actually that Marvel Comics doesn't do that—that that they don't have a like kids' corner of the week or something. Because I think that would be cool if they started like, <laughs> here's our like weekly releases, and in the kids' corner, Web of Spider-Man, like so that it's very clear with the way that it's titled. And mm-hmm. on the cover, that adults wouldn't waste their time or money. I, mm-hmm. I'm just that would be my recommendation because I think it's good to have comics for kids. Like I very much enjoy graphic novels. Like there are mediums for everyone, and some people learn better with pictures. And comics is that medium where it is more adult than like children's books, but it's still easy to digest. Yeah, well, and see, and I've run into that criticism before, where like. I should have been paying more attention, but when we reviewed, this is going back a little bit ways, Thor and Loki's Double Trouble, it is a, oh, yeah. it was essentially a children's book series as a comic book about Thor yeah. and Loki getting into antics around Asgard. Loki turns into a horse and mm-hmm. tells Thor, you know, if you were a real tough guy, I bet you could steal this thing. Like, just Good generic thing. children's book antics. And when I picked it up i didn't know that i didn't google anything beforehand i didn't know that double trouble was something marvel had done before mm. that was specifically like a children's book mm-hmm. that, cuz that's what this vibed on really hard and them not being upfront about that led me to like when i got to the end of it i was like what's the point of this like mm. i had to go back in my head and justify that like okay this obviously isn't aimed at me but why doesn't it say anywhere else why doesn't it signal who it's aimed at mm-hmm. yeah like, oh, yeah. it doesn't have, like, a logo that says, like, Marvel Kids or M- Marvel... Yeah. Something. I don't know. All right. Jess, I'm going to hand it over to you for Black Widow number 11. Um, so we open this comic with uh, the Widows having taken down, or tried to take down Apogee. They get everybody, but he gets away. Um, so Elena is overseeing Anya and Lucy doing some sparring. Um, Natasha comes in very quickly and says, okay, I'm, I gotta go. And Yelena pulls her aside and says, yo, if this is going to be a partnership, I need more info. And she goes, fine. (laughs) (laughs) So Natasha goes to a cobbler to get some spy stuff and give him some new requests. Um, she wants to try and find her husband and son and he asks if she's sure and she said yeah he gives her a lead for where to find apogee he sends her to um (laughs) as he said some creepy Cirque du Soleil meets old-timey freak show twins (laughs) um and she takes Elena along to that one um and Lucy and Anya seem to look on and like 
lovingly uh, horny affection because <laughs> they're all dressed up to go to this very fancy Cirque du Soleil type show. Um, so they meet with the twins. The twins are super creepy. I thought it was really cool. They have this fight scene, which is really cool. Uh, Natasha and Yelena are able to outsmart them and get more information about where to go next for Apogee at the Golden Gate Gala, which we'll see next issue. Um, it was nice for me to see Natasha bending her walls to let Yelena in. Um, we get same, some of the same older sister relationship that there was in the movie that just came out in July. So it was familiar, but still fun. Um, it was nothing revolutionary, but I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to the next one. Uh, so I gave it an 8 out of 10. Nice, yeah. Uh, I thought this was issue, issue was a fine issue. It was a filler issue. Um, like it was between two points of action like we just wrapped up the Apogee thing and then this is them getting the piece of info they need to go and actually really wrap up the Apogee thing mm. um, which was cool uh, I like the cast that they have in this one uh, Anya, Lucy, uh, Natasha and Yelena they have a cool vibe together but I I don't know I think one of the things that doesn't sit as wonderfully with me in this comic as I want it to is they have this cool little team together that I want to see do things and I want to see them grow and go places. Uh, so it bums me out to see that Natasha and to a lesser extent, but I'm sure we'll see more of it later, Yelena's intuition is to put up walls and leave groups. Mm. Like, there's just like that undertone of like, doesn't matter what this team becomes, don't get attached. And maybe that's just me reading too much into my history with Widow and like the way she's acting but she always kind of does that so it's like cool you having these two badass apprentices or whatever's going on that you're getting them to spar but you're trying to find your parents you're trying to cut Yelena out like nah am I going to be even reading about them next year (laughs) like I don't know and and that's me bringing my own baggage to it because I I can just never tell whether something in Natasha's life is going to stay because after all not too long ago she had an actual husband and an actual son. <laughs> yeah, and they were relocated, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I gave this one a seven. I'm I'm excited to read the arc, but it's I, I, I want I want more for Natasha. What about you, Brandon? Yeah, it was um I mean it was solid. I, I really dug the art. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't have a ton to say about this one. I mean, I think it had some interesting stuff, and certainly I'm interested to see where they're going with the apogee thing. But I don't know. It, it, it was. It, I don't feel like it, it really hooked me um, in a way, and and that's kind of unfortunate. Um, I do kind of like the. I guess team that Natasha has built for herself with Yelena and um, Anya Corzone, the Spider Girl. I really don't know why she's here, like <laughs> in a Black Widow book. But it, I'm, I'm not really complaining. This is a fun character. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, it, it's just kind of okay. So I, I gave this one a seven point five. I, I didn't. Um, I didn't hate it, but, um, I, I don't know that I'm hooked. Just not, I'm just not hooked. 
Fair enough. All right, and for our last uh, comic on the speed round, the Fantastic Four number 35, 60-year anniversary. Brandon, I'll pop it over to you. Yeah, sure. Um, The Fantastic Four make their big triumphant return to the Baxter building, the thing that, uh, you know, people, I guess, had wanted from, you know, from the start of them finally coming back after um, Secret Wars. Um, But... Largely, this uh, issue focuses on Kang having his, his little magical mystery tour through time with the Fantastic Four, touching on different eras of the Fantastic Four, uh, some very notable ones, of course, the classic 60s era Fantastic Four, the Burn era Fantastic Four, um, <clears throat> even the uh, 90s era Fantastic Four with uh, that horrible costume for (laughs) Sue Storm where she's in like a one piece like a bathing suit one piece Um, and uh, a really really fun reference to the uh, Hickman Fantastic Four from a couple years ago and even had their future foundation suits like right after Johnny Storm makes his return and that was that was a lot of of fun to see so it was just a really kind of cool book to see Kang kind of touching on all these different eras and I mean I, I know I understand why Kang is getting the big push right now but I thought it was at least kind of a, a cool way to fold it in. And uh, it all sort of wraps up in the present um, with um, <clears throat> all of the iterations of the Fantastic Four ver- facing off against the uh, different iterations of uh, Kangs or the variants, as they call them, um, and, and sort of just wrapping it up while also, um, you know, just kind of having a, 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 a fun and enjoyable tale of the Fantastic Four with a bit of a major revelation at the end uh, regarding, um, I don't know how much I should spoil, but <laughs> let's just say the, the revelation of a, a new family member for, for Reed Richards um, that, that uh, should create an, an interesting dynamic at least. I don't know, I, I'm kind of mixed on books that have been doing that recently. I, I just feel like that's become a trope, such a trope recently of the the long-lost sibling that mm. miraculously returns. I mean, over on the DC show, we have that with Nightwing going on right now. In Shang-Chi, we have that going on with, um, what's her name, Sister Dagger. Um, and it just it just feels like, I don't know, like at this point it just sort of feels like a, ve- a very lazy story mechanic um, where you just kind of, drudge up another family member when you need to add someone interesting to the cast because you're kind of running out of ideas and and I get the sense that that's kind of where we're going Um, but we'll see I guess I I thought it was a fun like the main story that not including the the last page revealed that the main part of the story was a lot of fun just touching on the different eras of Fantastic Four and all that stuff and and as a, a huge fan of the Fantastic Four it's always nice to see these different eras you know get recognized and acknowledged um, in addition to the main story there were two backup stories I did not get a chance to read them but I mean they look pretty cool I know one is from Mark Wade who had a really um, great run on Fantastic Four in the early 2000s so um, uh, hopefully when I get some more time I'll, I'll actually get to read that story but overall um, I, I did enjoy the main story and um, I'm hopeful that some of these story elements will con- you know, continue to be interesting, but 
on the whole, this run of Fantastic Four has not been the best, in my opinion. It has had its moments, but really hasn't been that memorable. So, uh, as a, an anniversary issue, it was uh, a fun way to tie a lot of the history together, but um, I, I do wish that I could say more nice things about this this run overall. So, I, I ended up giving this particular issue an 8 out of 10, but um, I do hope the run kind of picks up moving forward. Yeah, I... I liked this as a, a good turning point after the, the Wedding of Doom arc that we've got. Um, the main story in this one I quite enjoyed. I didn't read any of the, the, the secondary stories in this one. Um, but I highly recommend people check it out. They, they put a lot into this 60th anniversary issue. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff in it. I just didn't have the time myself to cover it all. Uh, but the main story like was really good and there was a, a lot of fun references to some comic history in there uh so i gave it a 7.5 out of 10 um i i didn't really read the whole thing i just kind of flipped through to see um what was in it how much um of it was one issue or another and then i was my eye was drawn by the second one it's very short it's two pages um it's called some family time it was by jason Liu. um and it's, again, a very short two-page. They just, like, have a fight and talk about family time. Um, but the thing that I really liked about it was once they all uh, change out of their street clothes, basically, then there's uh, these four uh, different colored and styled fists to represent the four members. And the fists point in the direction that the characters go into the next panels, including across the page. So, like, at the beginning... Uh, Thing and uh, Johnny go off to uh, do one thing while Sue and Reed talk about how to like approach this other part. Um, so the red and the orange fist fly off to the left <laughs> or right, I guess, while the blue fists go down and they're having this whole thing. And it was very cool. And like even across the page, um, across the gap, I mean. Um, you see, like, the movement through the panels, which I thought was, like, a really cool thing to do. I had never seen anything like that. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think if you're a fan of the Fantastic Four, this anthology kind of book for an anniversary, it was very cool. And I assume that having more, uh, like, references to the history of Fantastic Four, it would make a lot more sense and homage i guess yeah yeah, yeah there's, de there's, there's definitely like a lot of um of, of context needed if you really want to appreciate some of the history references otherwise it'll it, it, it'd probably feel a little weird all right uh, so now we're just going to take a short commercial break before we dive into the soapbox. After these messages, we'll be right back. Now, back to our program. So now we're at our soapbox segment. Just a few comics that we wanted to spend a bit more time on than in our speed round. And we're going right. to start that off with X-Men Trial of Magneto number two. This comes to us from writer Leah Williams with art by Lucas Werneck, color by Edgar Delgado, and lettering by Clayton Cowles. This one continues uh, Magneto's and uh, some of the relatives of 
Wanda's grief over the death of the Scarlet Witch. Um, as well as we get to see some of the investigative attempts, both of X-Factor trying to track down who might have killed Wanda, um, and how or how not it might have been Magneto. As well, we get to see a few glimpses of um, Xavier using some questionable methods with Hope to try and uh, uh, get the information from Magneto's mind on whether or not he did it. And there's a, there's a lot going on there. Meanwhile, the Avengers visit Krakoa to try and recover Wanda's body. And we get to see potentially what I might call the biggest like uh, signal light that the mutants are still not being 100% above board where they should be in that they're using massive amounts of illusion to essentially dupe the Avengers completely concealing Arbor Magna from them using the power of the, the cuckoos. Um, we do get to see Tony trying to flirt with Emma Frost, which, I mean, who wouldn't? Um, yeah, but <laughs> failing completely. Gotta shoot your shot. <laughs> um, and, and then with this one, it culminates in a big showdown between... Um, Hope waking up Magneto and telling him, do not let the Avengers uh, take or take Wanda's body. And so he goes out and he throws down and he fights a good old-fashioned Magneto fight, which we haven't seen a lot of in the Krakoan age. Aside from Empire, I don't know if we've seen Magneto rise up and really just master of magnetism a big group of heroes. No, not like that. It's it's really only been for the big moments, like you said during Empire, during um, during Planet Size X Men, of course, where he helps mm-hmm. terraform the planet. But yeah, no, not a not a ton of huge Magneto moments. So yeah, and so this one culminates with a very large spoiler that I feel like we have to talk about because like, I think it's a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm gonna stop right here and briefly say that if you don't want to be spoiled on Trial of Magneto, I think it's a pretty good book. And if you don't want to be spoiled, just skip ahead a hot minute or two or ten or something. (laughs) Um, But, alright. Spoilers are starting now. Wanda comes back. Middle of this fight and says, alright everyone, calm calm your shit. (laughs) And just immediately goes to Mackin' on Vision. Yeah, bit of a bit of a strange twist. Yeah, no kidding. All right, uh, before I go into full spinning my tires on like theory and stuff like that, what did you guys think of this book? Um, this was like, I mean, this series. I it's so funny. I had actually planned to skip this series. I mean, I didn't know if we were going to go into too much detail, but. I kind of dropped off of X Factor and, you know, I I wasn't as interested in it. So I was kind of like, eh, you know, Trial of Magneto, whatever. But the first issue just really impressed me. And and I think the second issue was was even better. It just, I think it, it really just deepened the mystery of what's going on with Wanda. But even more than that, it's, it's also kind of digging into, well, this, whole problem occurred on Krakoa, what do we do about it? You know, obviously you have to call the Avengers and all these other people, but there's so much more that 
uh, a death like this triggers that you know we're we're not even fully equipped on how to handle it and um, there's just so much going on that, that I find fascinating and it's just really well presented and really well really well written so far um, so I'm, I'm yeah I'm, I'm just I'm really into it this is I think probably my favorite issue this week and they <laughs> gave it an, an 8.5 out of 10 uh, I hadn't read the first one I knew that Kirk really liked it so I was curious if jumping to the second one I'd have lots of questions um, but I just wanted to write you my or read to you my notes because they're um, like limerick basically <laughs> So, my notes are, oh, so Wanda is dead. Great. I hate it. Drama, drama, drama. The fuck? The fuck? What? Give me more! (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) I, yeah, Wanda is probably, like, my favorite Avenger um, from my exposure to her in the MCU. And WandaVision, like, I've wanted to cosplay as her. Since Age of Ultron, but trying to find a red, <laughs> long leather jacket in my size is very expensive. Um, but yeah, I just was super bummed. I was like, Ugh, why do I even want to read this? She's not even here. This is stupid. <laughs> but then she came back, so it felt like the universe was like, you know what? I don't want to punish Jessica for finally reading some comics. Let's let's uh, let's bring her back. So I gave this a 10 out of 10 because it left me wanting more. <laughs> and that's all I need to get a perfect score. I think I think we're all over here kind of hoping that Wanda can come out of the other side of this just a little bit better. She's really been through the ringer probably for the past like 16 years at this point. Really ever since <laughs> House of M. Yeah. And it's kind of been the, the mutant punching bag, if you will, where yeah. ever since decimating half their population actually i think more than that it's kind of been like the you know mutant pariah and and no one wants to talk to her and she's shunned and and i mean earlier on in all the krakoa stuff they were telling basically ghost stories about her um so the great pretender yeah exactly so hopefully she can come out of the other side of this you know uh, uh, in in a better place Mm mm-hmm Yeah, so first off, I really liked this issue, and shout out to a couple moments that I didn't touch on earlier. Uh, North Star, by the way, when Magneto was threatening North Star's, like, human husband, and he was just straight up like, I will kill all of you, like, if anything happens to him, like, like, just... North Star is kind of a dick. I read about him in the Pride (laughs) Anthology. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, he probably has earned his place with how powerful he seems, but yeah, it was... All about him and his husband, and his husband like admiring him, and their really pretty house. <laughs> so when I saw them again, I was like, "Oh yeah, oh you are angry." <laughs> <laughs> but like shoutouts to him, um, and shoutouts to just so much of this comic. Like it was really interesting. <laughs> it kept me on the all the way through. But I really, I'm I'm really really curious if the end of this series is going to overturn some of the long-running Wanda drama. Mm-hmm. because And this yeah. is my, me going full tinfoil hat now. <laughs> I think the Wanda that just came back... So it, there's a panel in this comic where Wanda is like monologuing about being connected to the magic and that she can... It's like hinting that she can bring herself back and then at the end of this book, she's back. back. Yeah. That's not the same Wanda. Hmm. The Wanda that came back kissed Vision. Wanda and Vision broke up like 12 fucking years ago. 
Yeah. Uh, Wanda has not. This is an old Cerebro copy of Wanda that Hope went and resurrected with the five. Yeah, yeah, I think think that might be it. That's dirty. I think we're going to have two Wandas, and there's a small chance that coming out the other side of this, we might even get, God help me, like, it would be so exciting if we could, a mutant Wanda. That's Hopefully. all I want. I want her to be a I, mutant I, again. End the drama. <laughs> it's 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 entirely possible that this Wanda, the Wanda that just returned, is in fact a mutant. And uh, it, it'll be interesting if they have kind of a, a mic drop moment in the next one where she can kind of just walk through a gate effortlessly. And that will pretty much be uh, clear evidence that she's a mutant as, as only mutants can walk through the gates. Right? I would be so excited to see mm-hmm. that. Because it would also really turn on its head the, like, Krakoan, like you said, the ghost stories, this the legacy of oh, the yeah. great pretender, the, the witch who destroyed their ranks. Like, ter- take her from the myth and take away the monster and bring her back to where she, she started. Like, yeah. she was a mutant first, and then the great mutant divide because of the X-Men got sold to Fox and we had years of comics all that drama all that drama and like so Marvel desperately slashed away at the mutant heritage of Quicksilver and Wanda to add them into this story and I think we're gonna have two Wandas in this story I think Hope ran off and I think uh, there was a panel here where we see Mystique and I also wonder if they were specifically putting Mystique in this scene to show us that Hope might be another character in this scene. Yeah. That, because Hope can borrow powers from any mutant she's nearby, and, like, if they drop a mutant in a scene like Mystique watching from the bushes, that could mean that any mutant we're currently watching is Hope using Mystique's power and borrowing that mutant's power to replicate anything, including maybe even Wanda. That might not even be a resurrected Wanda from Cerebro. But the fact that she went right to putting her tongue in Vision's mouth indicates that I think this is an (laughs) old version of Wanda's memories. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's definitely what I'm thinking, and uh, um, it'll it'll be really interesting to see what the implications of that are. Um, I'm sure some people are are not going to be happy that Hope, you know, used Cerebro so recklessly to resurrect Wanda without permission and, and all that stuff. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm here to see what happens next. I really am. That was my first thought when I saw Mystique, because isn't she trying to get her wife back, but they keep telling her no because she needs to keep doing Black Ops missions for them? Yeah, Xavier and uh, and, and Magneto have really been kind of keeping her on a leash and, and mm. basically dangling the, the metaphorical carrot that mm-hmm. is um, Destiny in front of her and saying, We'll resurrect your wife at some point, but we need you to do this and this and and so well, you I'm, didn't really succeed, so we're gonna basically need you to keep doing our dirty work forever. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious if Hope did everything that you guys just laid out. That Mystique's then gonna turn around and be able to use this <coughs> event as her excuse to get Destiny because they're not using. The resurrection system as faithfully and true to their word as they said they would well yeah issue one touched on some big drama about like 
whether or not people were like there was active discussion but amongst the quiet council of Krakoa and amongst Magneto and the other mutants on should we bring Wanda back a mutant killed Wanda on Krakoan soil there exists reason enough claim and even a Cerebro copy of Wanda because she was once backlogged into Cerebro that they could bring her back but then and I mean oh sorry no go ahead no, I, I was I was just gonna say. I mean, one of the members of the five, uh, Proteus, is, and, and that was the thing that always kind of confused me. It was um, one of the members of the five. Proteus is literally a reality warper, which I mean, that doesn't really have any kind of clearly defined logic to it. So, by all accounts, you could probably resurrect Wanda's husk as a mutant. I'm sure it could be achieved. Mm-hmm. Well, and same with. Like, we had Franklin Richards using his reality warping to make himself a mutant for a while there. Yeah. Like, there's all kinds of stuff like that. I don't know. I, I'm i excited for where this book is going to go. My hopes might be too high thinking we could get a mutant Wanda out of this. But I really just want... To me, that would be like the final peace treaty between X-Men is really all the way back. Is that we finally cut away the last of that drama. Yes, yeah. So wait, um, is Quicksilver a mutant? Quicksilver and Wanda were... No, uh, I mean... Currently, no, he's not. Okay. Right now, all, we've been convinced that he... Magneto just adopted two powerful kids and told them they were mutants or something. Yeah, it's just with this whole Cerebro part and uh, resurrecting or alternate version of Wanda... That means that she would be a mutant, but Quicksilver wouldn't, by your logic, right? Technically, yes. They would have to do some comic bookery to turn Quicksilver into a mutant <laughs> as well. Okay, as long as it's not an evil twin, then I, I think we're at a soap opera. So, <laughs> Yeah, and I so I gave this one an 8.5 out of 10. I really like this book. Nice. All right. Uh, next on our list, we've got Spider-Woman, number 15, brought to us by writer Carla Pacheco, artist Perry Perez, and lettering by, sorry, lettering by Clayton Cowles and color by Frank D'Armada. Sorry about that. So in this comic, Jessica Drew is uh, awakens in a helicopter. <laughs> is that this one? Yep. Um, but she rushes back home to protect her kid, and Lindsay uh, fights off a horde of bad guys. Um, and then she brings them with her to meet up with Rebecca at the university, I think. Um, and... Yeah, I just really enjoyed the fight scene of Spider-Woman in her apartment in this comic. Um, and that's what I wanted to talk about. Uh, my favorite moment was on page 12. There's the, like, typical onomatopoeia of comics of, like, huh, put, put. But it's showing what she did and where she hit this guy in the onomatopoeia. Like, it basically makes itself into these little banners across this guy's body <laughs> so you see a fist to his head a foot to his chest in the like whoosh, pow, like all these different sound effects and i thought that it was just so well done um drawing and all this stuff like it was 
so beautifully done. And then I also liked, um, I think this is the first time that I've really seen a woman in a comic that I relate to body shape. Um, Rebecca talks about how her parents met and it illustrates it, of course. And Rebecca's mom has, like, my figure. And while I'm not a fan of how tight all the suits are for, like, Jessica and the other characters in this comic, they all look very, very sharp and are very, like, modest. They're not, like, scantily clad by any means. Um, So it really felt like it was, like, a feminist take on, like, a classic character of Spider-Woman that I hadn't seen before. I have no introduction to Spider-Woman before this. Um, I really, really liked this comic. I'm excited to be wowed next time. Um, And it felt like there was a lot in motion in this issue that I was only getting snippets of because it's kind of reeling from the last comic where Jessica kind of got, like, drugged or something by the villain that she's going to have to face next time. So I gave it an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I like this uh, comic. I think it's a good picking up point for um, where they are in Jessica Drew and her... Her... Rebecca is related to her. I can't... Is it... She's like her aunt. She's like her... Like uh, Jessica's Rebecca's Rebecca's aunt. Yeah. Um, And... Because the, the the Drew family, they're they're kind of famous, unfortunately, for being radioactive in a not good way. Um, and Rebecca needs or might need the same cure that Spider Woman does. Um, I think it's cool to see that Rebecca is growing as a character, and by the end of this issue, might come into her own as a com- like a central comic book character. Um, and I and I don't know enough about the the character of Rebecca, but I did notice um, both her super costume and her street clothes feature leg braces. Um, so, and I don't know what condition, whether it's a, based on a real condition or if it's generic comic book sickness that requires her to need the leg braces. But I would love to see uh, a superhero sort of represented with you know mobility aids and things like that. Um, but still be effective and still be interesting. Um, like this comic touches on that, gives her a costume. It teases at the end that it won't give her a name, but like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we also have like three other Spider Girls right now, so <laughs> yeah, she's gonna be she's gonna have to come up with something unique for her name. Yeah, uh, but I enjoyed this. I gave it a seven point five out of ten. Uh, I think it's a good stopover issue on the way to some big action. Nice. I, I um I hadn't read Spider Woman in a while. I, I remember reading I think the first five issues of this run, and then I kind of just fell off, and I, I wasn't as interested. But it was kind of nice to come back and um and and figure out what was going. It was it was a little weird for me because when I left the book, she was in like a completely different costume and was like sick and stuff. And um <clears throat> now I now everything is uh, a little bit different, but but still fairly interesting. So. Um, yeah, I just I, I I had a fun time with the issue. Thought it had some really cool action, and um, that was uh, that, that was about it. I did I didn't have a, a ton of thoughts about this one, so I, I ended up giving it a seven point five out of ten. Not bad by any means. Just um, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it's it's uh, it was it's fine. Awesome. 
All right. And next we go over to the Eternals. Thanos rises. This one yes. is brought to us by not in this issue apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, this issue is brought to us by writer uh, Kieran Gillen, art by Dustin Weaver, color by Matthew Wilson, and lettering by Clayton Cowles. Um, with a gorgeous cover by Isad Rabik. Just throwing that out there. Um, but Brandon, I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the best way to start off this review is to literally just verbatim read the uh, captions from the first three pages, which is 200,000 years ago was a quiet time, except when it wasn't, which I think is the best way to describe <laughs> literally all the chaos shit that is going on during the what they call last preceding last battle preceding the Titan schism and, and what a schism it is. But to give you a little bit of clarity on what that actually means, it seems that there are currently two factions at war right now, and that is the Zerasians and the Alarzites. Alarzites? Anyway. And basically, the main source of their frustration is the idea of Eternals uh, reproducing and, and increasing their lineage. <clears throat> And in particular, Alars wants to take the more natural route. He believes in the ideas of Eternals mating and, and getting in and having some fun like humans do. And, you know, he's trying to <laughs> give birth to, to some beautiful, gorgeous Eternals children. And Zerus is like, no, I don't want to do that because it's not natural. And also, you don't know what might happen. And Alars is like, but we can find out and it can be a good thing. And boy, that's going to bite you in the ass later. But it's all good. Uh, Alars is, is uh, given the option to live the rest of his life in exile and conduct his own experiments with the caveat that this entire war will come to an end and everyone will effectively have their minds wiped and rebooted, uh, which I guess is a common theme in eternal society where if things get out of hand, you can just reboot it and uh, <laughs> start over again, start from scratch. Uh, just imagine if human society was like that. Things get dicey, things get bad. Let's just hit the reset button and start over. But in any case, <clears throat> Alars decides to screw off to the planet Titan where his former lover slash counterpart, Susan, has been living uh, among the ruins of Titan. And uh, <clears throat> Alars is really coming there with a proposal to create something beautiful and bountiful for Titan. Not just... Uh, getting some nasty which seems like that's his main goal but hopefully creating a nice and, and beautiful new society on Titan that um, will thrive and, and create new life and everything but uh, before Alars can get to any serious kind of work um, he's visited by his father who informs him that everything that he is doing and everything that he's planning in natural uh, eternal birth is a mistake and you're going to regret it it's going to be a big downfall for you and everyone that you know. And he seems to have no problem with it. He's like, ah, I'll just marry the woman I love and have kids and, and everything will be fine. And it seems like it would be because they managed to rebuild Titan to be a, a, a booming metropolis. But unfortunately, the first time that um, Alars and Susan have kids, it really doesn't go that well because one of their second born children is none other than Thanos, who 
literally emerges from the womb a disgusting purple monster who <laughs> ends up punishing his entire family and sending them to their deaths. And Alars punishes himself for it, ends up in exile before finally meeting his doom at the hands of his own son. And really, what more poetic way is there to die than that? But Alars, in the mercy of the machine, is reborn in the exclusion and uh, seemingly believes that, all right, well, I screwed up but hey you know I've been reborn I'll be repurposed at some point but it doesn't seem that that's going to be the case as he is going to be excluded from the entire Eternals family and uh, we've heard exclusion before but we never really had the full context of what that actually meant uh, until now and, and boy it is something really really dark uh, apparently to be excluded at least in the context of this story is to literally be locked in a dark vault forever uh, and in Alar's case, I think they even take it a step further to be locked in a solitary, you know, solitary room by yourself where Alar's has to look upon the lights that represent every single victim that Thanos had ever taken throughout the cosmos. And I mean, for someone who literally destroyed half the population once, that's going to be a lot of fucking lights that you have to stare at. Which naturally it is because it burns out Alar's eyes within oh, a couple days or so. I think they mentioned it was a week, but <laughs> it seems that that is where Alars will be staying for the rest of his days, forced to live with the results and, and terrible um, resolutions of his actions in creating one of the worst, most genocidal monsters in the entire galaxy. Um, but I thought this was a pretty cool story. I mean, it, it was a very lore-heavy and, I mean, if you have been reading the main Eternal story so far and you're looking for something that is going to advance the story, this is certainly not that. Uh, for a book called Thanos Rising, it literally has nothing to do with Thanos at all, so if you find yourself being a little bit disappointed in that, especially considering that Thanos is featured pretty prominently on the cover, um, yeah, this issue is, is probably going to be a little weird for you. But in terms of, of kind of like a fun exploration on uh, Eternals lore, I thought it was pretty well done. And I, I really love the art from Dustin Weaver and Matt Wilson. It just has these gorgeous landscapes and, and um, you know, character moments that I really love. And um, Dustin did a book with John Hickman called Shields that um, I, I don't know if you guys have read, but that's a really great book too. And, and mm -hmm. does a lot of the kind of artistic stuff that, uh, this book does as well. So I, I, I liked it as an as a interesting but also tragic story of Alars. I thought it did a, a pretty decent job. But I would totally understand if it is like way out of left field for someone just looking for like an eternal story with Thanos also there because this is definitely not that. Uh, but I still dug it. So I gave this one an 8.25 out of 10. Awesome. Yeah, I, I read this book. I, I, I liked it well enough for the story of Alars um, creating Thanos. It was um, interesting. It was very verbose, uh, which sort of worked against it in its beginning piece with Alars and Zuras. There, there's a, a page that's literally filled with like their previous debates. And yes, it's... It, I, 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 sorry, I... I... I forgot to highlight that one, but I, I just I love the description of that page because it is literally called a brief introduction to key arguments in the Titanos schism, and it is just a page of text of them just bickering back and forth. 
and it's so funny and it's like literally debating like <laughs> they're literally just like oh what you just did that's ad hominem oh what you're saying is pure sophistry like it's literally just them calling each other out on bad debate tactics for a page of text there's not even pictures on this page it's so goofy and i yeah. it, in like a weird way I liked it and in like a weird way I was like no one like I can't recommend this to people like yeah <laughs> um and then I, I think the my biggest complaint with this book is and Brandon you you hit this is it's not an Eternals book like if you're if you're looking at the Eternals trailer and you're like I want to read that this isn't that this it, it barely explains who the Eternals are you don't meet any of the Eternals really outside of you see Icarus and um, Sprite for yeah, a couple pages in this book and I think Cersei once and they're going to be yeah. in the movie but I don't know that Zerus or Alars will be um, I don't think so and so like this book doesn't focus on Eternals that you could care about it doesn't explain their relationship with the Deviants it doesn't really talk about anything the Eternals are and then on the flip side this isn't a book about Thanos no, like it, it almost, it almost feels like false advertising. Because I mean, literally, I think Thanos shows up in a couple panels, as the result of Alars and, and Susan's relationship. But I don't think it doesn't really rise in any capacity. Yeah, and I don't think adult Thanos is ever shown on screen like as like a fully realized character. They show the gross little purple baby and I think they show like a silhouette of him killing a Lars. But like Thanos does not feature in this book and really the Eternals don't. It's a very specific story and I cannot find evidence that this is a number 1, but as Marvel Marvel put number 1 on anything. I don't I cannot find evidence that there will be a number 2. No, I I think this is um this is this is literally just uh, they're doing like a series of one shots, and this yeah. is literally just like uh, we're setting you know kind of a story in the Eternals past, and that's it, which is like kind of a cool idea. But you know, again, if you've been following the main series, this is just going to feel like a, kind of a weird detour. Yeah, everything about this was just like a little bit not quite what you expect to see from the book, based on the cover. Um, I gave it a 7 out of 10. It was enjoyable, but weird. Uh, and and I think it didn't deliver on being a book that actually explains Thanos' relationship to the Eternals, which would have been cool to spend a bit more time on going into the Eternals movie, considering straight up in the trailer, one of the humans in the trailer asks an Eternal, why didn't you guys help with Thanos? Like... Yeah. Like, that's a question that's going to be in the movies soon. And I felt like the Eternals comic with Thanos on the paint on the cover should have done more for that. And I I don't think it did. I, and I might be holding the wrong things against it. But as a purchase decision, I don't think this comic justifies its its uh, its title with what's inside the pages. But it's a it's a fine story. Oh, yeah. I tried to read it and fell asleep. No, I, <laughs> it, like you guys said, it's very lore heavy up front, very, um, I also thought it was very cerebral, like I thought that all of the, like you said, talking about using the different tactics in debate, like, 
I don't know what most of those words mean. Like, I don't know what schism means even. Like, and it's not that I couldn't Google it, but it just felt like so much homework. And again, <laughs> it wasn't immediately the Eternals that I recognized. And if this was a series that was tying to the movie, I would, like, force myself to do the research because I would want to know that stuff. Because now, if I go to this movie and I don't even remember their names anymore, either of these two characters ends up being the bad guy or something, like Al... Alars. Alars or Adam, the other guy, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I feel like I need to invest, but I, it didn't encourage me to do so cool you know phrases like phrases like this is simple sophistry and (laughs) all all that kind of stuff was like i i definitely get that for me it literally just felt like i was sitting in one of my college classes Mm because like that's to be expected (laughs) people are always trying to impress others with the big words they can use but like Mm -hmm. it, it, it was it was definitely very like um yeah, cerebral is that. I, I like that word. I definitely feel like that. That's that's definitely what it was going for. Or it's like we're smarter than you. We've been alive for a million years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the last of our comics this week. So now we can recap what we're uh, we can go through what our, our favorites were this week, our least favorite, and uh, what's our favorite panel. Um, Jess, do you want to go first? Uh, My favorite this week was Trial of Magneto. My least favorite was Web of Spider-Man. My favorite, yeah, panel was the Spider-Woman, where she's literally like, PUNCH! And you see her fist in his gut. (laughs) Alright, Brandon. Uh, My favorite book this week was also Trial of Magneto. My least favorite... Mmm... I don't know. I mean, I'd probably give it to. I didn't read Web of Spider Man, and none of them were really bad, but I would pro. I mean, I didn't score Iron Man 12, but <laughs> I feel like if I had to, that would probably be the weakest one I read. Um, but my favorite moment of this week definitely has to go to. Um, uh, Eternals Thanos rising the, the double page spread of just like all the Eternals just in action and one of them's riding like a mechanized dinosaur mm-hmm. it just looks so cool like even if you have no idea what's going on like that's just an awesome image yeah for sure yeah my favorite um, we're three for three my favorite this week was Trial of Magneto I love that book uh, honorable mentions going to I think um Marauders probably is my second favorite this week. I don't really have a, uh, a lot of big pulls to give out. Uh, my least favorite, uh, lowest score I gave to Web of Spider-Man, but thinking about least favorite, uh, I am far less likely to purchase or recommend purchasing Kang than I am Web of Spider-Man. Web of Spider-Man has an audience. I don't know where Kang sits like if if Kang three doesn't wow me, I I don't know that I can finish out the series, um, and I did finish out Web of Spider Man, which says something. Um, and then my favorite moment I think is in Trial of Magneto, 
Uh, Magneto versus Polaris. There's a cool panel of, um, you know, another father-daughter drama in the midst of Trial of Magneto. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Jess and Brandon, for tuning in and reviewing some comics. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank everyone and remind our audience that you can get access to our Patreon and you can learn more about what it offers, as well as all the great shows that Not A Robot is putting out every week over at notarobotpodcasts.com. <coughs> With that said, as always, there's only one way we say goodbye around here. Until next time. Be good to each other. And don't be a robot.